today on the wrestling podcast about nothing, we've got our old pal, ring announcer Bobby Cruz, joining us to tell us his story of coming up in the New England Indies and then becoming the voice of Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor, Mike. That's where I operate these days. Finally, we've got one of my friends on here. Yeah, you really pulled some strings and finally got it done, Kingpin. Plus, your promo about nothing is coming up and so much more. But first, tell him, George. I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? This is the wrestling podcast about nothing. Nothing? Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, episode 105, presented by BDARadio.com. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me, as always, is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, now a Ring of Honor wrestler. He is tentatively the irresistible force, always the immovable object, the bruiser's bestest buddy, the kingpin, Brian Malonis. What's up, buddy? How are you? How you feeling? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. You've been all over the map in recent days. Yes, indeed. I'm jet setting everywhere, buddy. You were in Pittsburgh and Columbus for Ring of Honor last weekend. Yes, thank God I wasn't on. Thank God it wasn't my Southwest Airlines flight that uh, <laughs> that uh, had the issues, huh? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I did see that. I told you they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on, though. Uh, Hit me up with the spoilers. Spoilers? No spoilers, Mike. We don't do spoilers on here. We can talk about uh, Columbus if you want. Masters of the Craft. Okay. What'd you do on Columbus? I got walloped in the head with an umbrella. Really? Yes. Mighty Squirrel gave you the what for, huh? He he certainly did. And uh, he better hope he doesn't run into the old Kingpin anytime again soon. Wow. Because, yeah, the villains run amok with the Kingpin, so... He's moved up on the target list. Wow, <laughs> and the list is long. Yes, you, that, you you would love that, huh? A nice Kingpin Bullet Club feud, Mike? <laughs> that would be excellent. <laughs> See what you can do to get that done. I'll try my best. So, I mean, I had to ask about the spoilers for uh, my best friend, John Morris. Nothing from Pittsburgh? Can't help me out? Stay tuned to Ring of Honor Television each and every week, Mike. I mean, I can, t- I can tell you that we wrestled coast to coast. Oh. That was advertised. Right. That was advertised on... Uh, ROHWrestling.com. And we'll see that soon on Ring of Honor Television uh, or on the Fight TV app. Yeah, in the next couple of weeks. I'm trying to think. Next two or three weeks. I don't remember exactly which week it was. And are we going to see you on some other TV as well, Brian Malonis? What did I see on the old Facebook and Twitter this past week? Are you talking about me and Lisa Guerrero? Yes. <laughs> and me and Hall of Famer Johnny Rods? Yes, uh, OVP, the Our Vantage Point guys, Joe and Quinn. Very jealous that you got to meet the one and only Hall of Famer, the unpredictable Johnny Rods. Yeah, so I, I actually, it was actually through Ring of Honor, got contacted, or Ring of Honor got contacted by Inside Edition. They were looking for a, a big fella, a wrestler, a wrestling type. To, you uh, fit the bill. Yes, I certainly did. Uh, to test out a product called the Egg Sitter, which claimed that... Uh, 
you know, that's so supportive. You could sit on an egg while it's on this mat or whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, mat or brace or uh, I don't know. You put it on your chair and sit on it. But, but it's supposed to be so supportive that if you sit on an egg, it doesn't break. So they wanted a big guy to come out and test this theory, and, that, and that's what I did. So they hooked it up with Gleason's Gym, which is the home of Johnny Rod's Wrestling School. And I drove there with uh, my good buddy, AG, Anthony Green, a one-time guest on this podcast. You couldn't tell if you listened to it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one time. That is the operative phrase. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had, we had a good time. Uh, we had a really good time filming at um, Johnny Rods' school. I had a great time getting to talk to Johnny Rods for you know probably about an hour or so before the film crew got there. They were running late. Which, you know, at first I was agitated, but then to get to sit there for like an hour and just talk with a guy like Johnny Rods was was pretty amazing. And he's just as, as colorful and uh, interesting as you would imagine somebody, you know, with that sort of history in pro wrestling to be. Then this the film crew came and, you know, it took about an hour for the shoot, but it was it was a good time. And, and the host is Lisa Guerrero from, uh, she was, I know she was on Monday Night Football. And I also know she was in Playboy Magazine at one point. And, uh, hubba hubba. Yeah, Mike, uh, she dug your boy the kingpin. Really? She did. She gave you the old up and down? <laughs> yeah, she just, you know, she talked about my dimples, how amazing they were. The ones on your face? <laughs> yes, the ones on my face. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and, and, and then she followed me on Twitter about 15 minutes after we left. Really? Uh-huh, we'll keep our eye on that. Yeah, she hasn't slid into those DMs yet, though. No, <laughs> waiting on that, huh? Uh, we'll break that on the wrestling podcast about nothing when that happens. <laughs> she might be a little bit, a little bit out of my age range, buddy. Maybe a little bit, huh? More your speed. <laughs> so, can we talk about the spoilers here uh, about what happened with the egg? No, no. Let's leave that. Let's leave that for uh, when this episode of Inside Edition airs. I- I'm actually still waiting to hear back when exactly it will air. I don't know how quickly they turn. You know, these such things around. I, I would imagine, you know, you'll probably see it in the next couple of weeks or so. But we had a really good time. I, I didn't know what to expect from it. You know, I didn't know if it was just going to be very quick or maybe they wouldn't even show my face, just show my big fat butt or something. <laughs> but, uh, I had a lot of, uh, had a lot of FaceTime, filmed a lot of stuff, stuff in the ring, some promo stuff, and then some really good interactions with Lisa. So your boy's going to be all over it, buddy. How about that? I predict about a 30 second segment. <laughs> no, no, no. The the segment of me and her just talking is more than 30 seconds. Really? Yeah. And we filmed a couple of like little bumper things too. Like, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And the funny thing is she was very, I think they were surprised too, which I don't quite understand the shock of, you know, me being comfortable in front of the camera and them really not having to give me a lot of direction and improvising some things on the fly. I mean, they didn't really plan out like the segment too much other than me just sitting on the damn thing. And, uh, you know, just kind of improvised a couple of fun things, you know, and, and even Lisa Guerrero was like, wow, you're, you're really good. It's like, well, I, I wasn't as smart as I just said, thank you or whatever. But I'm thinking like, I've been wrestling for like 16 years. Like you wanted somebody who's like an entertainer. Like, did you not expect me to be comfortable in front of a camera? I don't know what their expectation was. Yeah, you're in the entertainment business. You may be like the, you know, the redheaded stepchild of the entertainment industry, <laughs> yeah. but wrestling wrestlers are very comfortable out there in front of the camera, in front of crowds. 
Yeah, I don't know why you'd be surprised. Yeah, they, which they they were, but it was it was really good. I you know I can't thank you know Ring of Honor enough for thinking of me and giving me that opportunity. It was it was Joe Koff who gave me the opportunity, so I can't thank Joe enough and Ring of Honor enough for for thinking of me and and giving me that chance to go represent the company on Inside Edition and and really just thankful for Inside Edition too for letting me do it and and bringing me in and having a good time. So cool opportunity through my affiliation with Ring of Honor. So really cool. (laughs) Really exciting. Never in a million years imagined I'd uh, get my mug on Inside Edition, but there you go. How's the uh, the payday? (laughs) Uh, You know, we don't talk about paydays here, Mike. Oh, excuse me. It's like a Bridget's podcast? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, pardon me. Uh, so I guess we'll let people know when that is going to be on the air, if you know, right? Yeah, as soon as I yeah, as soon as soon I get word. If not, you know, we'll kind of let people know after the fact. I don't know if they put up their show on. I, I, mean, I got to admit, I, I, I didn't know Inside Edition was still on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't really, it's not my genre of programming to watch. I don't really watch, um, it's like a, you know, it's, you know the type of show it is. It's like an entertainment news yeah, tabloid kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't really watch those uh, any of them. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't even remember hard copy. Like, that's like the yeah, only other one. That, that's the only other one I could like name, and I don't. And I don't think that's on anymore. So fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> but uh, no, it was really cool though. I didn't get to wear or plug the podcast though, Mike. I know that's probably going to be your next <sighs> question. You know, I, I did wear. I did have to promote Ring of Honor because you know that's where my my loyalties lie these days mike and they were the ones that hooked me up with the spot so you know it 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 really means a lot that that they think enough of me to go you know represent the company on something like this so really appreciative of that uh we'll also retweet the photos that you took with johnny Ross, lisa guerrero that'll be at the wpan on twitter so make sure to check that out and we'll let you know when that airs and uh, so good stuff for the Kingpin Brian Malonis. And if you want to continue to support the Kingpin, BrianMalonis.com, right? Yes, indeed. Head over to BrianMalonis.com. And if you can't make it out locally to see me, if you live in, um, you know, i definitely been starting to notice uh, fans and outside of the New England area hit me up quite a bit. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan of mine, head over to BrianMalonis.com and get yourself a T-shirt. And I have re-uploaded the official wrestling podcast about nothing t-shirt the curtain jerker t-shirt to your store so hopefully within the next couple weeks you will have the official podcast t-shirt as part of your store on pro wrestling tees or at brymalonis.com yes and you can also find more about this podcast on our website for the podcast, thewpan.com. That is T-H-E-W-P-A-N.com. It's where you can find all the links to subscribe to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. You can find photos of us from throughout our wrestling journeys, plus uh, videos, all on thewpan.com. That is our official website, the official hub of the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. And between podcasts, you can find us on Facebook in the Putting Over Podcasts Facebook group. Just look up Putting Over Podcasts. Podcasts. Put that in the search bar on Facebook. Find that group. Join it. We'll invite you in and you can be a part of the conversation where we talk about this podcast. We talk about all pro wrestling podcasts because it's all about love for all of our uh, fellow podcasters out there on the Putting Over Podcasts Facebook group. All right, we've kept these people waiting long enough. We are being joined by a guy who's been all over the world working as a ring announcer, but he started right here in New England and we knew him way back when. He is the Voice of Ring of Honor Wrestling, I think he's got that title again. 
And he's our pal. He is the pride of Fall River, Massachusetts, oh, Bobby Jesus Cruz. Jesus Christ. Seriously? Everything what? was going good. Everything was going good, Crockett, until you mentioned Fall River. I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, how, how many years is this rib going to go on, honestly? That's your hometown, right? No. What? I had this conversation the other night about the, my last charity event I did in Fall River where uh, Todd Sinclair – told Rich Palladino to announce me Fall River Zone, and I got in the ring and whatever, and I came back to the production table, and the mayor then of Fall River says, I didn't know you were from here. And I said, that's because I'm not. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Never been to Fall River, never lived a day in Fall River, never stayed a night in Fall River, but okay, it's a running joke. Ha-ha, everyone loves it. Jamie James, Todd Sinclair, you, great. Okay, Fall River, fine. <laughs> What's wrong with Fall River? <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, this is only an hour-long podcast. <laughs> Please. Okay. Please. Well, I do have to ask you, though, did you announce Brian Malonis from the wrong hometown on purpose? I don't think so. I think I messed it up. <laughs> yeah, you can count on one hand the number of times I mess up in a year, I think. Uh, and I'm not being arrogant when I say that. I just really, really concentrate on detail. And um, it happened last year once, too, with uh, for whatever reason, I went to announce Marty Skrull, and I it was during a TV title match. I think it was like so it was main event entering intros for TV in Atlanta, and I said um, I think I said Manchester. And he looked at me right away, like I said Manchester, England, and he wanted to kill me. And uh, he said afterwards he was laughing. He's like, "What the hell was that?" I said, "I just went blank. I know it's Cambridge. I've announced you from Cambridge, England. Whatever. I just kind of whatever Manchester came out. So then it became a running joke." Uh, for a few matches after that, where we did the in-ring intros, where I would get it back to Cambridge and get it right, and he would make a little chuckle in my ear. But um, no, I think what did I say, Malonis? What did I, where did I announce you? I from? think you said Portsmouth, New Hampshire. All right, it's a nice town. What the hell? <laughs> Portsmouth <laughs> is nice. Close enough. <laughs> it could be a slight payback for Fall River. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's kind of the opposite, though, like because like Manchester's where I'm from is kind of a shithole these days and Portsmouth is pretty nice. <laughs> it's not nice. All right. So I upgraded you. <laughs> yes. You so, uh, Brian, what are your first memories of, uh, dealing with Bobby Cruz over here? Uh, him not booking me for his promotion way back when. <laughs> <laughs> I have similar memories. <laughs> Let's unpack this a little bit, Bobby. <laughs> so this is nice. I'm getting excited now. I didn't know this was a shoot interview. This is going to be fun then. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, go ahead. Bobby, how did you start your promotion? Well, actually, how did you get into the whole wrestling deal? Oh, for really? We're going to do this? Oh, for <laughs> Christ's sake. The short version. How many freaking times have I told this story? Okay, fine. So <laughs> let me put on my, my nice guy uh, voice. And Oh, well, we all, as kids, were wrestling fans, right? Yeah, we were all wrestling right. fans. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was more into the production and the music and the announcing. Like, you know, people had favorite wrestlers or whatever, but my favorite thing was Howard Finkel. So... I always took an interest in more of that production side of it and the announcing. Not the play-by-play so much, but much more the ring announcing. So um, in high school, baseball was my thing. I, I had always excelled at baseball more than any other sport, even though I played basketball and stuff. So going into my senior year, I was the captain of the baseball team. But I, was, I had played three years of basketball, and all I really could do out there was just stand out there and shoot threes. I was like a three-point specialist. I couldn't do anything else. I mean, I was fast, but I couldn't dribble two hands or anything like that. 
So um, an English teacher I had, he was the girls' basketball coach, and he knew I had an interest in, in doing some announcing. So he came up to me and said uh, that their PA announcer had uh, retired, basically. He was a longtime janitor at Old Rochester Regional High School, not Fall River High School or whatever the freak oh. you want to cut. No. Um, <laughs> he said, you know, do you, do you want to give it a shot? I know you always want to try announcing. So I had a decision to make. Do I do this? Or do I you know, play basketball where I'm not really contributing or whatever? And uh, I ended up making the decision, all right, I'll try doing the uh, the public address announcing for the girls' basketball. So I started doing that in 92 and um, did that for a couple of years. And I think it was early 94, I just sent out some letters to different independent, oh my God, independent promotions. Uh, I don't even know. How, how did they get the addresses of these places back then? There was no internet then, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't even, know. I, yeah, I don't even remember. But I remember I snail mailed a bunch of different places. And uh, Kowalski was one of them. God bless Walter. Love him to death. He actually invited me to the school to go down there one night. And I went in and I was just watching stuff. And he he said something like, uh, I don't know, he, he threw out a, a dollar amount for me to train or whatever. And I said, no, I just want to be an announcer. I don't want to be a, I don't want to train to be a wrestler. And he said, yeah, but my announcer, they get thrown over the top rope. So you you have to learn how to do that. And I'm thinking, all right, well, that's $2,000, whatever amount he quoted me. So that, that didn't last very long. I don't remember seeing Mel Simons go over the top rope at all. No, I wish he would have and landed on his head. That would have been uh, that would have been pretty good, in my opinion. He might he might have been better. Oh my goodness! So uh, enjoy Eugenio from here in the here we go Fall River in New Bedford area. You know, had gotten one of my letters too, and, and it was convenient because it was so close to my house. And uh, he called me and said they were actually looking for a ring announcer at that time. They were using a guy named Paul Lazan, who was a, a indie wrestler around, but he Lisa was on- Paul. Yeah, Lethal Paul, there you go. He was injured, so he was just basically filling in as a ring announcer at the time. So they had me go down, I don't know, it was that week or a week later, to do just like two matches on their show. Everything went cool, and they uh, offered me the job from there. So I think it was like around this time of year, March or April of 94, my first event at the uh, legendary PEL Hall in Fall River. That's where I got my start. Paul is on. He booked us, right, Brian? Yeah, he did. <laughs> did he book you? Yeah. <laughs> Lethal for wrestling. <laughs> you went down to those shows? I don't remember. When I ran my show, I booked both of you. I know I did. So let's stop the nonsense now, please. <laughs> so how did you how did you come to uh, run your own promotion? It was the UWF, right? Oh, well, fast forwarding. Yeah, so sure. in my years with Yankee Pro, which became, well, it was New England Wrestling. Then it became Yankee Pro. And then it became Top Rope, which I think it still is today. Yeah. You know, I had taken the book over for Yankee Pro at the time. And, um... Joey Eugenio had uh, you know, towards the end of my run. Joey Eugenio had split. Basically, he had a, he had a brand. He did a brand split. He might have had the original brand split, <laughs> where he had uh, Yankee Pro and South Coast, and Steve Ricard, who's the current owner of Top Rope, took over South Coast, and it was kind of the B brand guys that he wanted to bring in or whatever. And Yankee Pro, the one I was running, was more of the you know uh, the bot shows on the road, which Eugenio had a lot of at the time and stuff. And um, my hands just kept getting tied more and more. Steve and I didn't get along at all. I wanted nothing to do with them except to put them through a wall. And <laughs> I, you know, I basically said, you know what, F this, I'm going to go do my own thing. So that's, that's really where it started, where, uh, you know, at the time, Gino Giovanni is, you know, a very good friend of mine, 
he wasn't happy either. And we talked about, all right, let's try something. Let's go and, and do something on our own. And that basically created the UWF from there. Yeah, that might have been the first time I remember seeing you was going down with um, Mucko and Todd was actually mm. refereeing on your shows and we go down there and we went to, was it Jokers? Is that the name of the place? Jokers, yeah. The old Billiards in New Bedford, the Jokers nightclub. That was it. I mean, we did, the first event I did was uh, really, really good. It was in Whitman, Mass at the high school. It's called UWF Conquest. It was a guy who I had gotten hooked up with, uh, mutual contact from an old uh, indie wrestler, a young kid at the time, named uh, Kurt Daniels from the Brockton area. I think it was his name, Kurt Daniels. And um, he knew this guy named Mark Trapetta, who had two sons with muscular dystrophy and had done a wrestling fundraiser before uh, with another promoter, who I'm not even going to mention because he's not even worth the uh, the, the airtime. He basically said, found out I was doing my own thing, and he gave me a call through Kurt and um said hey i want to do another one but i want to do it with you this time so that's we did that that first event there and you know tried to step up everything as far as uh lighting and production and then all that kind of stuff it really went really well but it was basically a bot show so it was kind of easy you know i brought up Loki and, and xavier from uh down in new york which you know hadn't been done very often as far as coming up here to new england and i uh, just tried to do some different things if I, I probably should have stopped after that first night, it would have been great. UWF would have been the greatest thing since Chaotic Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I do remember you were one of the only people that I knew of that was like bringing people in to do yeah. your uh, your shows. I remember Steve Carino, you've had a longtime friendship with. I don't even really know how that started. How did you get to be friends with Steve Carino and have him come to your shows and do all the stuff? It was actually towards the end of my booking with Yankee Pro. Um, okay. Yeah, we had a show in... Uh, New Bedford and, and, you know, Yankee Pro, like I said before, had a lot of the bot shows. So, you, you know, you were supposed to bring in, quote unquote, two or three names to be on top of the card. And right around this time is when ECW was folding. And uh, Eugenio had asked me, well, what do you think? And Carino was the ECW champion prior. And I said, you know, well, why don't we try him? I mean, he's a drive in, you know, and, and it's just something different. So I brought him into a show in New Bedford. And I, I was not only booking at the time, I was still ring announcing the shows. And he actually talked to me after the show, and he said, I really like your ring announcing. I run shows down in uh, Potsdam, Pennsylvania, once a month on Sunday nights. I'd like to have you come down and, and ring announce for me. So that was the first time in meeting him, and I started doing that. And there was other you know, New England talent down there, too. The Dams were, were going down there. Gino Giovanni was going down there as a wrestler and then a commentator. So there was some New England representation down there. And um, first, I was announcing half the show. And then basically, he made the decision he wanted me to announce all the shows. And from that point on, I'm sure we'll get into it, whatever. But I mean, that my career just snowballed from there. And, and that was my first foray out of New England, which was a huge deal. But, you know, up until that point, for the first, say, six, seven years, I had just announced in New England. I had done every state in New England, but I've never been outside of New England. So Carino was the one that got me outside of New England and then eventually outside the country. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But I want to talk about the UWF show that I remember is, I think, the one where you bled. <laughs> Bobby bled? Yes. He, he gigged as the owner of the company. I don't even think you were a, a – you weren't managing on the show. You would just like no. would come out and people knew that you were the owner. Yeah. So how did that all come about? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – so my thing always going into this – and it. 
if I was running my own promotion now, I'd be even more about this is like, you know, an owner slash promoter or whatever. should not be their top guy should not be involved or anything like that. At the time, because I was living so local, I was living one town over from where we were doing the shows in New Bedford, try, you know, just talking and talking to Carino and doing, thinking about some different things, trying to put a local twist on it, you know, trying to get, even get in the local paper or whatever. So, um, basically come up with this storyline where Carino, you know, everyone that knew quote unquote on the inside, knew how close Carino and I were as friends and stuff. Um, and it basically, uh, had wanted to do a turn with him. And the only person that made sense for him to turn on would be me because everyone knew how close friends we were and stuff. So he laid me out and, um, apparently the whole world saw, uh, the blade job, which is uh, very <laughs> exciting. You know, Todd Sinclair tells me all the time. Um, and <laughs> I, I wanted it to, um, kind of like be shock and awe, you know, cause at the time the beer distributor I work for now, um, they had come on as a sponsor and were, you know, donating stuff and giving us money per event and stuff like that. So there's a lot of local people, a lot of people that knew me at these shows. And, um, I said, you know, it doesn't make any sense if Carino just verbally lays into me or whatever, who's really going to care. So I wanted it to be something shocking. Um, so just bleed all over them. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the thing was I was going to uh, bleed like a stuffed pig, and I did, but apparently everyone saw why or how, so whatever, you know, live and learn. We talk, I talked to Karina about it before, because you know, after, Karina's supposed to, um, you know, kind of, you know, not to get too inside here, even though this is about nothing, right? The podcast about nothing. Yes. Um, you know, it was supposed to pull me into him basically and whatever happened happened and he didn't really pull me in so i was kind of in broad daylight just kind of there so i've never watched it and i don't plan on it because people like todd sinclair have told me enough times the, the details of it so i I'm, I'm pretty sure i don't need to see it but yeah there's a i actually just saw it today i was flipping i was looking for one specific picture on facebook of uh something with my daughters and so i'm going through you know pictures from years and years ago in the the close-up I have of me just with blood all over my face is uh, I actually came across that. So how did I know that was going to come up today? I knew it. That's on your Facebook, and you have to uh, grab that and uh, steal it and put it up on Twitter. It's there, buried there somewhere. I want to say years ago, Facebook like pulled it down because it was too graphic, but I can't imagine today it would be too graphic. All it was was me kind of looking up with blood all over my face. Mm. So. so Bobby Cruz, a ring announcer, has gotten color more times than me. Really? <laughs> yep. I've only ever I've only ever even bled hard way one time. Oh my goodness. Well, it won't happen again. I'm I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> that was that was one and done. Okay. So what are your overall uh thoughts about being a pro wrestling promoter? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't do it again? I don't think so. I mean we um the guy who I mentioned, Mark Chapetta earlier, who I did UWF Conquest with and then I did the Shows, what, five or six years ago now that you guys were on in um, in Canton and uh, Fall River. We talked about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, about doing another one. But he actually, he reached out to me yesterday, ironically enough. He's um, ran a comedy show, I think it was last fall or last winter, that, that was a good success. And he actually, he knew I was uh, friends with Taylor Williamson from the runner-up from America's Got Talent. I don't know, whatever season, whatever. Excuse me. 
Yeah. And so he reached out and said, hey, can you put me in contact with him? Because I'm going to do another comedy show in October, which indirectly told me that the wrestling show is not on his radar coming up again. If he's talking about doing another comedy <laughs> show. So, I mean, that's the only way I would do it. It's something like a fundraiser for, you know, kids or something like that. I would do a one shot, but I would never uh, run my own promotion again. No, no, never, never happened. I swear by it. I'll get married again. Absolutely. I'll never run, run my own uh, promotion full time again. <laughs> wow. All right. Strong words. <sighs> Does this have anything to do with the time that you had a keg under the ring? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a bullshit. You know what I mean? I, this is where I, I almost lost it. <laughs> if I didn't want to punch Steve Ricard in the face before, I definitely wanted to do it this time. So Jokers, I mean, you guys were there. Jokers was a small venue. You know, you couldn't put a regular, say, like 20 by 20 ring or in there or anything. So Joe Eugenio had a ring because we kind of made up at this point, um, even, you know, after I had left. And we stayed in contact. And he had a 16 by 16 ring, which was perfect for that venue. And we did one or two events there, no problem. And it came to this, I think it was the last event we ran there, ironically enough, where they go to bring the ring and nobody can find the spring. Like the spring for this ring just disappeared. And I swear to this day, and even though Steve and I get along fine now, I've worked a few fill-in spots for him uh, as, as recently as a few months ago. Uh, I swear Steve Ricard hid this spring back at where, you know, Eugenio kept his storage of, of equipment and stuff. There's no doubt he hid the spring. Because you're kind of running opposition to him, right? And essentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we had talent coming in. I mean, like you said before, I brought in talent from the outside, so I talent coming from pennsylvania new york new jersey now they're well on their way what am i going to do Sit, you know call everybody and send them back no matter how close they were or do we try and make the best of it and you know run the event so everyone gets paid everyone's taken care of for their travel and stuff so i made the decision to run it and the only way we could figure out was to take a ironically enough being a beer salesman take a beer keg and put it under you know basically use that as the spring this thing was, you know, it made the ring like a concrete uh, walkway. And we had a locker room meeting before the show, and I told everybody, I said, this is the situation. Do not risk injury. Do not do anything stupid. You know, the, the, pretend, you know pretend you're wrestling on a street, basically, because I didn't want anything to happen to anyone because it certainly wasn't their fault. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a frustrating thing. And that's I think that might have been the event where I kind of realized, you know what? As far as this area in, in southeastern Mass, you know, Eugenio had ruled for so long. I'm kind of like, all right, I'm I'm fighting, and I'm fighting an enemy that you can't win, really. And even though you know Joe and I had had a good relationship and stayed in contact, it wasn't the same with Steve, and never had been until we got older. You know, where I basically just said, all right, I'm just going to take the UWF and put it under the Top Row Promotions banner, basically as a third brand for them. Well, that's what ended up happening. So, you know, it was uh, <laughs> there's so many reasons why I would never run my own promotion again. That the keg ring is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was some young kid though who just still took these massive bumps in it. Yeah, I don't even remember. I really don't. I, I just remember just wanting to get through the night so nobody really got hurt, which nobody did. Thank God, because it was it's just I mean, that's nobody signs up for that. That that wasn't good. So were you still going down to Pennsylvania for was the PWF for Steve Carino? Yeah, one, you know, it was uh, it was Sunday nights once a month, which at that time it really sucked because Pottstown. I mean, Pennsylvania is far enough away as it is. But Pottstown is out in the woods. 
Um, it's even farther than you would know, say Philly or anything like that. So um, you do the shows and then I would drive back overnight and then go to work the following morning on a Monday. You know, it was tough. And uh, I was, you know, married at the time. And luckily she was, you know, very uh, understanding of you know, the schedule that I was going to do that two days, uh, once a month and whatever. But, you know, I'm glad I did because it, it not only, um, you know, I've, continue to build the friendship with Carino, but also it got me noticed by multiple eyes, uh, which I'm sure is your next follow-up question, so I won't elaborate. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Well, yeah, uh, eventually Steve asked you to be his personal ring announcer for Ring of Honor, right? I don't, I don't know how long after that this was. Oh, you fast-forwarded. See, I should have oh, just kept shit. going. That's okay, you kept going. It's okay, I love you. Christ's sake. So, uh, yes, so what happened first was uh, everyone, I'm sure, well, everyone above like 30 probably, remembers the old AOLIM, right? (laughs) What a great creation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Thanksgiving of 2001, I got an IM from Carino. You know, he was wrestling and working for Zero One in Japan on a mad schedule at at that time. After ECW folded, really Zero One had become his home. Um, and he wasn't only wrestling over there a lot, but he was also kind of like the uh, the Gajin, uh, as they say, foreign um, agent. He would ha- you know handle bookings and travel and all that stuff for the outside Japanese talent. And um, he sent me a message. He said, hey, uh, Zero One's going to run two USA-themed events in Tokyo in January. They want you to ring announce them. And I'm thinking to myself, all right. So I've gone from New England to the PWF and then right away like this a few months later here comes like going to Japan are you kidding me so I'm, I'm thinking all right am I on the hook for airfare or whatever because you know <laughs> we've all been there right you, you have right. to sometimes you have to eat it to get someplace basically and um, he got right back to me he said no they'll take care of your airfare or whatever just want to know if you'll do it here's the dates and what it was right after the first of the year in uh, in 2002 and I said absolutely so uh, I went and did that I remember, I remember Cork and Hall where both events were. It was just, I just remember standing there and, and being like in awe. We're doing a rehearsal and stuff because they wanted to know. They had, you know, regular zero one Japanese talent, but they also had uh, American talent like AJ Styles and Low Key. And they had the Ballad Brothers from California and um, Tom Howard from California. So it was like kind of 50-50, but they wanted to do it, especially my intros, the way I do it. So, like, their ring announcer, his name was Oki. He would call me teacher. And I finally said, what? I said to Karina, why is he calling me teacher? And Karina said, because you're teaching him the American way to do the ring announcing. That's how they want you to do it. I said, okay. I remember I was in, uh, I announced uh, Carino. I think Carino was in the ring. Anyway, I want to say he was tagging with Tom Howard, but I could be wrong, but whatever. Well, Carino's in the ring. And I'm just standing there in the middle of Corican Hall. The place is packed. And it was a live, uh, Kind of, I don't know if it was live TV or live pay per view, but it was definitely being broadcast live. So my first event ever in Japan is being broadcast live, and uh, Karino comes up to me and says, "As I'm in the ring, there's a lot of Japanese people here." <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I just remember to think of myself, okay, that was like a like a calming, you know, like a kind of relief thing, like you know, don't be so stressed, everything's cool. But he did point out that you know he uh, there's a bunch of black suits in the front row, like a bunch of them. He said, you see all those guys? I said, yeah. He goes, those are the Yakuza. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Okay. I, I, I know what Yakuza is. And basically, 
So basically saying, if you screw up, it's on their dime and you're, you're going to eat it. So I'm like, <laughs> but um, yeah. You wouldn't have been on this podcast today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't have two daughters. Um, <laughs> so we did, we did a... You know, we did another night there, which was like a samurai TV taping, which is really cool. And the same thing happened a year later, where they wanted to do the USA thing again. But this time they were doing, um, I want to say, Corican Hall and Differ Ariaki, which is where Noah used to run a lot. Do, do we, I can tell. We have unlimited time, right? I can tell this story. Yes, this of is course. A, this is a good story. Okay, this is a good story. So Malonis, you remember uh, we were in Pittsburgh recently for TV, and I mentioned to you I had a good story about how I was almost late by changing. Yes. Okay. Malonis has this running Joe Crockett. I don't know if you ever noticed, but everyone says that I always get changed at the last minute. Yes, you're notorious. You, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you gave us a late start in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because I gassed my leg open. But anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm out there, especially for like Ring of Honor TV tapings. You're talking four, four and a half hours. I don't want to wear a suit any longer than I have to. So. For example, if I'm going out there at 7, I'm going to start changing at 6.40, 6.45, whatever. This second zero one one trip didn't start off well uh, because I got to uh, – I was supposed to go Providence to Detroit, Detroit to Tokyo. And I got to Providence, and my Providence to Detroit flight was canceled because it was snow or whatever. It was January. So they told me – this was the old Northwest Airlines. This is probably why they're not around anymore. They told me, hey, we've got a flight going out of JFK in New York. If you want to go downstairs, rent a car, we will tell them you're coming. Um, you know, there was time to do it. They will tell them you're coming. So, you know, they know you're going to be a little bit late, but you'll make the plane or whatever. So I fly down. I, I fly, literally fly. Like I rented a Mustang. I was flying down from Providence to JFK in New York. You know, drop off the rental, get to the ticket counter. And I should have known because nobody was at this ticket counter. Like the flight was going to leave at like 1230 and I got there at like noon. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I still have a little bit of time. But of course, international flights, not a good idea. So uh, there were actually Japanese people working the ticket counter at Northwest at JFK. I go up there and I'm already worried because nobody's around. And they said, where are you going? And I said, Tokyo. And one of the, there was a man and a woman, and the man just looked at me and he goes, "Not today." And I said, oh. <laughs> I said, "Oh, come on!" I said, "Providence didn't tell you I was coming down here, or whatever." He said, "No, there's no way. The flight is already like basically, you know, leaving the gate. We can't get you there." So then, uh, now they you know, they book me the next day, basically on the same flight. I get a hotel right near JFK in New York. I. And now, uh, you know, called my wife at the time and I'm telling her, I said, do me a favor, sign into my AOL IM account, get to Carino, because that's the only way to communicate with Carino when he was in Japan at the time, uh, and tell him what happened, whatever. So Carino actually got back to her and said, tell him no problem, we'll have somebody to pick him up at the airport in Tokyo, whatever. So my schedule's thrown off, because, you know, with the Japan time difference and stuff, they bring in a couple days early. So now I was going to get in one day early, which really turned into a half day early. I get there, check into the hotel, and just kind of crash out. And the next day, my phone rings in my room, and um, I'm like, what the fuck? Because I didn't set an alarm. I'm like, oh, I never need an alarm. I have like an internal clock. I'll be fine. I'm like, <laughs> uh -oh. It's Carino calling me from the lobby. Everyone's downstairs at the bus. He's like, where are you? Uh, he's like, obviously, you're in your room. Are you coming? 
And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was just grabbing my stuff. I literally, he woke me up with that phone call. I bolted <laughs> up. I jumped up, went in the bathroom, shaved as fast as I could, took a shower, grabbed my stuff and got down, whatever. We go to Differariaki. Now, at this time, Carino, the PWF that Carino was running was going to turn into a company called World One. And it was going to be in conjunction with Zero One. We were doing a pay-per-view at Differariaki. On the pre-show, this is where the announcement was being made to the Japanese media and stuff. Carino was announcing this. So I'm looking at the clock. It's 6 o'clock pay-per-view. It's like, I don't know, 5.35. He's making the announcement. I'm looking at the clock. Okay, everything's good. I want to watch him make this announcement. It's kind of cool. All the media is there, whatever. I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. He finally finishes, I don't know, say 5.40-something, 5.42, say. And I'm like, all right, now I got 18 minutes to go get changed. I had bought this USA flag bow tie and cummerbund because I was wearing tuxedos at the time. I'm like, this is cool. Zero one USA. I've got this USA gimmick. Three minutes into getting changed, I hear, teacher, teacher. Now, I told you, Oki, their ring announcer, calls me teacher. He's coming running down the hall. Teacher, teacher, we go, we go. I'm like, Oki, we got 15 minutes. What are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. Well, come to find out, that clock was 15 minutes slow. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a live pay-per-view in Tokyo. So I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I I didn't get on everything I needed to, I mean, as far as what I wanted to get on. I got on the regular tuxedo stuff, bolted to the ring. I hopped in the ring, standing in the corner as the video, the opening video for the pay-per-view wrapped up. That was easily... The closest I've come to shitting my pants as far as getting uh, dressed too late. <laughs> so that's anytime anyone says anything while you really get dressed late, I always bring up that story. Nothing will compare to that. If I ever do that on a live Ring of Honor pay-per-view, I'm screwed. So that didn't scare you into changing earlier? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, I can confirm it has not. <laughs> but it, 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 what it did do is it made, it made me confirm that I uh, checked it when I got to a building to make sure the clocks were right. <laughs> but uh, so many of us now obviously you just look at it you know what's the time oh you look at your cell phone well you know your cell phone is going to be right so that's that's all good but no i don't get changed i think malona said to me in pittsburgh i think i got changed like i don't know 25 minutes 20 25 minutes before i was going to head out there yeah you were dressed early yeah malona said oh my god what, what's wrong why are you changed so early i think my response was i was bored it was. That's exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah, I changed early. What the hell? <laughs> See, I'm I'm a notorious like early changer. Like, I, I doesn't it doesn't matter usually where where I am on the like even on uh, Sunday night in Columbus. I was I was only managing Bruiser in the in the main event, and I still got dressed like 45 minutes before doors. So. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, maybe it's different with a suit or whatever. I don't know, but. Like I mean, but there's other times like I see like uh, Ian Riccoboni, our tremendous play-by-play guy. He'll he'll walk into the building with what he's gonna wear most of the time. Kevin Kelly used to do the same thing, so they're wearing it for hours and hours, like these suits and stuff. I'm like, there's no way. I, I don't know. It's just me. I probably won't. I'm not gonna change if I haven't changed yet. I'm not gonna change now. I'm almost at the end of the road here, so um, it's just the way I do it. It's what it is. Did I answer the question? What was the question anyway? I don't know. I don't know, but I think I think uh, timeline wise, are we at ROH now? You as the personal ring announcer for Steve Carino. Oh yes, you, that's right. Yeah, because you jumped over that, so I, I right. recap. Hey, when you when you edit this together, just edit you asking the question about me going to Japan and stuff, and then everything will be good. You'll you'll look smart. There you go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so there was one night still the AOL I am. I think it was in two thousand three. 
Carino had said, hey, I'm going to go back to Ring of Honor. You know, and I had heard of Ring of Honor. I'd never seen it or anything. So I'm going to go back to Ring of Honor. I'm going to feud with Homicide. I had this idea I want to do with this, uh, have my own personal ring announcer. And he's like, I want you to do it. You know, do you want to you be interested or whatever? So he kind of ran the idea behind me. And I'm like, oh, this sounds amazing because as a ring announcer, you're like just out there and doing the straight ring announcing, announcing seven, eight, nine matches, whatever. This was so much different. You know, he was, he and, uh, his pal Guillotine Legrand at the time were going to come up with these different lists. Um, and I think the first one we did was in Fairfield, Connecticut. And the, the list was all the championships that Carino had held over the years. And it was just so long and so long. It kept going. And, and then they wrote in halfway through, I would go over to one of Carino's young boys and get a bottle of water for a water break. And fans were just getting – it was entertaining to them. But the, the more we did it, it became more and more pissed. And, and uh, that, like, was fun to me. Like, I love to piss people off. This is, like, this is the, great, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. I've always just been a ring announcer. And you announce this guy, okay, here's his opponent, whatever. And you're out of the ring, you know, eight times. But this was, this was different. And um, there, was, <laughs> there was some memorable ones. We did, uh, we did one in um, – the Rexplex, the old Rexplex in uh, in New Jersey, with uh, it was a four way with Carino, Chris Daniels, Samoa Joe, and CM Punk. I just remember, I don't even think I didn't know any of those guys at that point, really, other than High, other than Carino. I just remember looking up once and, and looking at Samoa Joe like he wanted to just choke me out and, and kill me. And then there was another one we did in uh, up near Buffalo, New York, it was Carino and Punk in a one-on-one match. And I think my intros went 20 minutes and the match was a 20 minute Broadway. Like the intros went as long as, um, as long as a match. So that was a lot of fun. That, that definitely was a lot of fun. And it ended up getting me in front of ring of honors management's eyes, uh, and which ended up leading to me, you know, doing what I've been doing for 14 years now. So, I've said for years and years, and I'll always say that there's two people that helped my ring announcing career the most, and it was Steve Carino and Carrie Silken, because Steve obviously saw me, got me out of New England, got me to Japan, got me into Ring of Honor, or at least in front of Ring of Honor's eyes, and then Carrie ultimately, which we're segueing into now, uh, made the decision to uh, to bring me into Ring of Honor full-time. And you've been there since 2004, full-time as the lead ring announcer, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was the, I want to say October or November of 2004 he called me carrie called me and he said hey uh if the ring announcing position becomes available would you be interested and you know at the time they were using a former ecw ring announcer who's still you know once again someone's not worth mentioning um (laughs) and uh (laughs) please so uh how dare you talk about Rich Palladino in that yeah, manner? No, not him. <laughs> so so I, I told Carrie, I said, if it becomes available, yes, I would be interested. So he said, okay, give me an hour. And within a half hour, they called me back and said, okay, it's available. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I remember the, the guy they were using at the time, you know, there was, there was some backlash at the time. The old Ring of Honor message board that I gave Sapolsky would monitor was like, who's this guy, whatever, you know, we know this other guy from ECW, and, you know, he was there from day one, whatever. I mean, we're literally talking two years into the company, so big deal. So I put something out and said, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be made the quote-unquote full-time ring announcer for the company. I'm going to do the best I can. And, um, you know, I offered to reach out to the guy who was preceding me, 
you know, and basically just, you know, no hard feelings. I mean, it just, and I'll, I'll get into this a little more in a minute, but I actually, um, my first full time weekend with Ring of Honor was up here. It was in, uh, I want to say Dorchester. We were in so many places around Boston, but just say Boston area and then Elizabeth, New Jersey the next night for Weekend of Thunder with Jushin Liger. And, um, and that was Revere, I think. What's a oh, Revere? Yeah, okay. you're in Revere. So a good friend of the prior ring announcer had pulled me aside that night and said uh, basically that he had read the statement that I put out about reaching out to him or whatever. And just said it was BS and it was fake and he, you know, whatever. So once I heard that from a reputable source, a good friend of this guy, I'm like, all right, screw this guy. I'm not, I'm not even gonna, not even gonna say anything to him. He can go to hell. So then I became the enemy somehow because I said I was gonna reach out to him and I never did, which is complete BS. Who cares? You know what I mean? It's like we have Nick Lendl now with Ring of Honor, Pittsburgh guy, great kid. Just wants an opportunity and stuff, you know. And if it comes a year from now or two years from now, whatever, a Ring of Honor comes to me and said, "Hey, we want to go with Nick. He's younger." Blah blah blah. Whatever. What am I going to do? Get mad at Nick because that's the way the company wants to go? It's so stupid and childish. So, um, you know, that ring announcer who they, you know, they used to use, who always looked like he had his uh, suit wrapped up in a ball in his bag. Um, <laughs> you know, d- didn't take any pride in appearance or anything like that. I really, to be honest, I didn't give a shit. And I still don't give a shit what he thinks. He actually showed up a couple of years ago in New York City at the Hammerstein, like at a house show we did or whatever. I walked him backstage and he was there. And I'm like, oh, man, like, do I do I just, you know, obviously I could have pulled strings and got him out of there. But I'm like, you know, whatever. And he even made a comment. He said, oh, I'm still waiting for that apology. And I'm like, I just kind of walked away from him. So, <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's just it's some people, yeah, some people, as you know, whether it's life or wrestling or whatever, and, you know, family, some people are worth your time. Some people aren't. And he's clearly just someone who's not. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I took a lot of pride in stuff, uh, you know, when he, he actually showed up. Remember when they relaunched ECW? They did the second ECW uh, one night stand. And then a couple days later in New Jersey, they were doing a, like the ECW relaunch. And this guy showed up assuming that he was going to be the ECW ring announcer. And they kicked him out and sent him home. So, And then I think it was a month later, WWE called me to go work for them. And I'm like, okay, this is so ironic. I love it to do it again. I love it. So. <laughs> Why would anybody just show up to WWE assuming, oh, I'm high, I must be hired? Yeah, because he had, he had announced the one-night stand, so parts of the one-night stand, so I figured, you know, he he just thought, whatever, the guy's a moron, so who knows? So, yeah, let's talk about you working a little bit for WWE, and that's 2006, right? Yes, 2006, yep. And uh, how did that all come about? <laughs> it was quick. Um <laughs> <laughs> From 2006 to 2006. <laughs> yeah, definitely 2006 to 2006, absolutely. So I um, I had reached out to them. I had, just, I had sent them a promo DVD, basically, um, with some of my stuff from Ring of Honor, um, just to look into it. And um, they called me, I want to say the, it was it was definitely, it was, it was September of 2006. It was the week before they were doing TV in Worcester. So I had missed the first call that I had gotten from Jennifer Good from uh, Kevin Dunn's office. I had missed the call. She left me a message saying, oh, we'd like to speak to you about an opportunity to audition as a ring announcer, call me back, or whatever. So before I called back, when I heard the message, I'm like, well, obviously they want me to go to Worcester and do a dark match or whatever. And so I call her back, 
And she said, oh, and, uh, you know, and whatever it was, three weeks later, we're doing Oklahoma City in Tulsa, and we'd like it to come out. And I'm like, oh, I figured you asked me to do Worcester. I said, no, we got a bunch of stuff going on leading up to that. You know, we'd rather just have you come out to Oklahoma City in Tulsa. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. And um, she said, our executive producer, which she didn't say Kevin Dunn by name, but that's the executive producer, said he looked at your reel. He was impressed with, you know, you seem, you know, your experience you obviously have and stuff like that. He said, we want to put you right on TV. I said, oh, okay. So she said, you know, usually we have ring announcers come in, they do a dock match or two, and then we make a decision from there. But he's confident he just wants you to put you right on TV. So I went to Oklahoma City and I did uh, Heat. It wasn't Sunday Night Heat. It was just Heat. It was Heat at that point. And, you know, did that episode. And the next night was Tulsa, which was SmackDown, but also ECW. There was one dock match. So they had me do the dock match and then just hang out there and watch like SmackDown to pick up pointers or whatever, how they do things, which I already knew how they did things. So whatever. (laughs) Um, So I. You know, it was Monday, Tuesday, get home on a Wednesday, Friday, they call me and ask, oh, how do you think it went? And I said, oh, I think it went fine. And, you know, she says, well, we think it went fine, too. Everyone we've talked to said you were good to work with or whatever. We want you to come out next month to Chicago and St. Louis again. I said, OK, so here we go again. Same thing. Go out to Chicago, which is to this day, the biggest crowd I've ever announced from the Allstate Arena. I think it was over like 18, 19,000 for Raw that night, which that was very interesting because I was obviously more relaxed because it was my second time and they liked something in me. So they called me back and were flying me out there again. And I had put my bags out in a specific locker room. And then, I don't know, I, I, I would sit down with Lillian Garcia just to go over like the info, the weights and, and the hometowns of different guys that are doing for heat. And I, I went back there like an hour later and my stuff was in the hallway and I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, what did I do? Oh, no. I pissed somebody off, and um, it ended up being that uh, it was when John Cena was feuding with K-Fed. And uh, I guess K-Fed's people had taken my bag and put it out so he could have his own locker room or whatever. So it was uh, – I'm like, wow, K-Fed. I think I – I think now, I think I'm more well known than KFED in 2018, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was a good experience overall. I mean, it's something I always wanted to do, you know, hold the WWE microphone. When they originally called me, they said, hey, you know, if this works out, you know, you have to leave Ring of Honor. And of course, I did an initial pause. So I was like, oh, yeah, because Ring of Honor had been so good to me, whether it's Carrie or Gabe and Sid and everyone in the office. And I'm like, yeah, I understand. If it works out, and I want you and you want me, I have to leave Ring of Honor. I get it. It was, I mean, some good stuff that came out of it, too. I mean, you know, I made some friends like Dave Lagana. I had met for the first time there, and then we became closer, uh, you know, became friends in, in Ring of Honor. And then he was just that supercard in New Orleans. Um, you know, and, that, and I mean, you know, you guys have dealt with Cena. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I remember was um, right around this time is when the Marine was coming out. Yeah. The first Marine, the one he was in or whatever. So I remember that I would have to plug merch and like, you know, say the Marine shirt was on sale or whatever. And um, so at that time, because he was doing the the uh, Marine, they wanted him on both shows. So he was doing Raw and SmackDown. And um, he came up to me the day after I did Oklahoma City, he came up to me in Tulsa. I was standing outside. He sought me out and he actually said, hey, I thought you really stood out last night. You were really good, blah, 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 whatever. Which is cool, and it gave me the first look into you know uh, someone like that how they how they are you know yeah there's no reason for someone on that level to seek out a ring announcer coming in cold 
to say, hey, I thought you were really good last night or whatever. So uh, that got a conversation with us started. And once he found out I was from Massachusetts, then we were like best friends anytime I was there from that point on. And the last night I did with them was in St. Louis. We were staying at the Hyatt Regency in downtown St. Louis. It was the same night that the World Series was in town, the Tigers and the Cardinals. So he invited me to go with him and a bunch of people. And I'll never forget because I've never seen this done before and I probably never will again. Our group that we were in drank the hotel out of every beer they had. <laughs> like they literally came up to Cena and said, we don't have any more beer. Never mind not having this kind of beer or this kind of – he said, we have no more beer. And he said, all right, just start sending Jaeger bombs. I'm like, oh, my God. This is like <laughs> I'm not a hard booze guy. I'm like, all right, this is a little – this is going to get a little crazy. But um, You didn't have a couple cases in your carry-on? No, <laughs> I know, right? Beer salesman, I should have. So to fast forward a little bit how that kind of ended and didn't happen for me, I did that uh, second run with Chicago and, and St. Louis. Flew home on Wednesday, had to fly out to Ohio for Ring of Honor on Friday, and then we had Chicago on Saturday. So I announced the WWE and Ring of Honor within a span of five or six days in Chicago. Flew home that Sunday, and I was just you know reading the dirt sheets and stuff online, and I was reading how the ECW house shows were drawing like six, seven hundred people. And they had made a decision that they were going to scrap doing standalone ECW house shows. And they were going to combine them with SmackDown house shows and just put like two or three ECW matches on those. So I remember just sitting in front of my computer being like, oh, shit. Yeah. I said, because, you know, the whole the whole point was Justin Roberts was announcing he he was announcing at the time. Uh, he was backup for Lillian for Raw. And when they did the ECW brand, they made him gave him his own brand. It was kind of promotion, which is cool made him the ECW ring announcer, so they then needed a backup for Lillian. So that's what I was going to do, like do the Raw house shows, because she didn't do house shows, and do um, Heat and fill in for Raw when she was off. So I read that, I'm like, shit. Like, okay, what does that mean now? Because obviously, when you're doing that with ECW, you're going to need less personnel. And the next day, I got a phone call from Jen Good at WWE saying, and I'll never forget the quote, our need for an additional ring announcer just greatly diminished. <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I said, yeah, I know. I read it yesterday. But, you know, it is what it is. What are you going to do? And she said, well, Kevin wants to know if you'll do some like international stuff for us, like international tours or whatever. And, you know, they do international tours every so often, but it's not a constant thing. And I said, you know, well, what does that mean for Ring of Honor? And she's like, well, you still have to leave Ring of Honor. And I kind of thought about it quick, and I said, no, I'm really not interested in doing that. If it's only going to be, you know, say, three or four tours a month for a week at a time, then no, I'd rather just, you know, stay in Ring of Honor. So I tell that story, and people say, oh, that sucks or whatever, the timing. And I said, well, timing could have been worse. Because obviously, to this day, I have a full-time job as a beer sales rep. Imagine if WWE had, you know, brought me in as was the plan, and then, you know, two months later, the ECW house shows crash, and then they get rid of me. And now I've lost that, and I've lost Ring of Honor, and I've lost my real job. So I, I've never looked back and been like, oh, shit, that sucks or whatever. I, the timing, it happens for a reason. It was a good experience, but everything worked out fine. I'm, do, I'm doing fine. So you talked about the contentious relationships you've had with, uh, well, one ring announcer in particular, but how is the camaraderie with the ring announcers in WWE, with Lillian and with like Justin Roberts and stuff? Oh, great. I mean, I loved, um, I loved Lillian. 
I, I really did. I, I thought, and the thing with Lillian too, I, I had a respect for Lillian because she came in, she'd never been a ring announcer or anything like that. And I thought she turned herself into a pretty damn good ring announcer. And I didn't know what to expect, but that first night, we, you know, first afternoon we sat together in Oklahoma City and went over stuff. She was awesome. She was as helpful as she could be. She was great. She ended up, uh, I, I got an email uh, when she released her first album. She was having an album release party in New York City, and I got sent an invitation for it. Like, we really <laughs> became, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm not going to this, but that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and Justin was cool, too. I mean, Justin, Justin kind of had, he was younger than me, but he had the same road as me, basically, you know, working up from the indies and that kind of stuff. And then he ended up getting a look for WWE, and he made the most of it and, and did well and had a great career there. But uh, he was he was cool too. I remember, I think it was uh, it was well he was announcing ECW at the time. So I remember whatever day it was, like it was like you know for Raw I had to be there at noon, and for SmackDown I had to be there at one. And it was like four o'clock in the afternoon, and Justin still wasn't there. I'm like, oh shit, he's not. He's something's wrong. He's got no travel or whatever. I'm gonna end up doing ECW. This is gonna be great. Then he comes strolling in at like four thirty, and I'm kind of like, what the hell? And he said, ah, you know, once they hire you and you're here, you can just show up whenever you want. <laughs> like, oh, Christ, okay, that's fine. But um, Tony Schimmel was a SmackDown ring announcer. He was, he was hilarious. He was, like, they were busting his balls. Like, I would be sitting out there at uh, watching him kind of during SmackDown. And uh, Mark Eaton was the timekeeper. And uh, there were, you know, other production people, camera people would be coming up to him in between breaks. So, oh, Bobby's here to replace you. You know, they're getting rid of you. You're too old. You know, you're too fat or whatever. And he's like, I don't care. Whatever. I'm gone. Fine. Okay. He's here to replace me. I said, Lillian used to have an entrance video. They would announce the commentators with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler or whatever. They'd, they'd have their own entrance videos with their theme music. And Lillian had her own. So I would do that. After I did Heat, I would bring her out or whatever. So I remember the first night I did SmackDown, I'm standing in Gorilla with uh, Chimmel. And I said, Oh, after I do the stock match, do I introduce you and you come out to a video of music? And he says, no. And I, <laughs> I said, I said, oh, why? I said, I did it last night with Lily. And he's like, because I'm not an effing diva. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was good shit. I mean, there was there was a good experience with everything. And I, I, um, I had to seek Vince McMahon out. I had not met him yet. Never had met him. I had done the uh, Oklahoma City stuff, still hadn't met him. I didn't know if I was going to be back after the, the Tuesday in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I'm like, oh, I, you know, at least thank him for the opportunity. I mean, that's, that was always my goal was to hold the WWE mic, and especially on TV. So I kind of stood over near the door as I knew he had to go out. I didn't care how long it took. And I, kinda, I stood there, and um, he came walking by, and I kind of just put my hand out, and I said, oh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. And he looked at me, and this is another quote I'll never forget. He says, Bobby, you did a hell of a job. And then he paused, and he says, next time, try not to be so Howard Finkelish. <laughs> so, like, that was, that was kind of the buzz. That was kind of the buzz backstage. That they, they thought I sounded too much like Howard. But, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely fun. And, it, and to see some of the old guys, like, I remember – like walking uh, backstage the first uh, SmackDown because uh, Punk was on ECW at that point. He, we ran into each other at like one in the afternoon in the hallway. And he said, oh, I heard you were going to be here. Blah, blah, blah. It's good. You know, and just to see some, you know, some old friends, too. It's pretty cool. So you stuck with the Ring of Honor. And some 12 years later, 
you're still there. You've been through like so many administrations, like the Gabe Sapolsky era. Then it was Adam Pierce, then Delirious. I mean, HDNet, Destination America. I mean, the sale to Sinclair. <laughs> Jeez, like yeah. so much stuff. What sticks out to you in terms of your career with Ring of Honor? Uh, I get asked a lot, you know, what's your favorite match? Or And that's so hard to pick. Like they even asked, Ring of Honor asked me, as part of the video package for the opening for the pay-per-view uh, for the 15th or 16th anniversary that we just had in Vegas recently. It's so hard over so many years to be sitting that close and to pick out matches. You know, I picked out moments. And, you know, one was in the New Yorker Hotel in New York City with, you know, Joe versus Kobashi, which that atmosphere was ridiculous. And I, I'm sure Todd's going to hear me use the word atmosphere and he's going to go banana. But... <laughs> <laughs> He likes when I use that word, but you know that was one, and, and, and another one that I used in that promo was um, you know Nigel McGuinness and Brian Danielson in Liverpool, England, pure title versus world title unification. I mean Nigel being from England and everything, and that thing was awesome too. But you know I, I've always said that one thing has remained consistent is our product inside the ring has always been top flight, and um, you know over the years obviously there's been guys that have come and gone and come back again and whatever and the roster turnover but the one thing that's always somehow remained consistent is uh the product inside the ring and um you know this was some lean years as far as what we were doing and this different storylines or different stuff we did but overall everything's been solid and i think it's a testament to the athletes to come in and i'm not kissing malone's ass because he's on here but he's a perfect example a guy who's been on you know, the Indies for years and gets an opportunity and comes in and is excelling and, and doing things. And, and there's so many guys like that that have come in. When somebody moves on to whether it's NXT or WWE directly or leaves and it's just because it's more time in New Japan or whatever, that all that does is open up a spot for someone else. And every time that's happened, somebody steps up and seizes the opportunity. So I think that's been the biggest thing. The other thing that's changed over the years is just our production overall. Going from the stuff that we had back when I first joined the company in 04, then we started doing tape pay-per-views and things improved a little bit to the HD net. Now we had Mark Cuban money with a you know HD net putting some stuff into our production, and then obviously with Sinclair, not only are they a television broadcast you know company and distributor, but they're also they have some money that they put into the production of us. Uh, inside the arenas and so forth with lighting and our video screens and all that stuff. So things have just gotten better. So I always said for a long time that I didn't think our production matched our quality inside the ring. I always thought the strongest part of what we did was our athletes inside the ring, no matter who was on the roster at the time. But now things have evened out a little bit. We still have the great action, and that, that's not a slam on the athletes in the ring. I'm just saying our production has come up and, and kind of, I don't want to say matched what's going on inside the ring, but it's balanced it off a little more. I used to get very frustrated because I'm like, these guys are busting their ass in the ring and they're doing this and they're doing that and we're not producing it right. We're not putting it out there right so it can be seen in, to get turned on to the product. And now with the video packages we do and the in-arena production and all that stuff, it's a little more even. So I think now, especially over the past six months to a year, we have kind of more of a total package we've had in my 14 plus years. 
so through all the ups and downs and you know the improvements in the production and all that stuff, do you walk out there in New Orleans in that building and take like a have like some personal pride when you see you know that building packed to the rafters? Yeah, I, I actually did, Mike, last year in uh, when we were in Florida when we did the boxing Hardies in that ladder match. I actually had it there. I remember taking some pictures of the crowd as I was sitting at my table. And I'm like, all right, look at this. I mean, this is this is pretty good. So then you just add even you know a couple more thousand to that this year in New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. There's some pride in that. There's so many times in in whatever. I'm I'm not the typical guy. Like I admit, like in a, I admit I like uh, chick flicks. I admit I like uh, love songs or whatever, as Todd will tell you. But um, I heard about Hollow Notes. I did hear oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, among others. Um, Don't let Crockett fool you. He's into the same stuff. <laughs> I love a good love song. I will literally, there's so many times where I've sat at my table and I've seen like a moment or, or something where our Ring of Honor athletes have done something and I just heard the crowd chanting ROH or whatever, just the reaction that they've done. And I, I literally uh, just get that feeling like of immense pride, really. It's been, um, and, and there's so many times where I've rewinded it in my mind and I'm like, all right, what if I left here in 06? You know, I wouldn't have this. So, I've definitely had those moments. It happens a lot where you just really take pride in what in the company overall and also what these guys are, are doing because when it comes down to it, it's all about the guys inside the ring. It's not about the improved lighting and the improved video packages by editors that are awesome now or whatever, live TV. It's not about that. It's about that. That can all be great. But if the guys inside the ring suck, then we're done, you know, and um, they don't and never have. And, and that's that's the best part of everything. You talked about the understudy that you have, the young ring announcer who's doing some ROH shots. You're doing a little less. Now, do you see like a light at the end of the tunnel? Do you see you leaving anytime soon? Um, I, <laughs> it's a funny question. I, I don't know. Um, to me, I, you, you hear all the time, you hear athletes say, I mean, Tom Brady has said it. Um, if I suck, then I know it's time to go, you know, and I, I have thought several times if I this the first person to know that I'm losing it, quote unquote, will be me. And I don't know how that happens for a ring announcer. I guess I, it would just be a feeling. I had it a few years ago. I maybe I want to say I had it towards the end of carry on in the company. I kind of wondered, I'm like, oh, man, like, can I do this anymore? Am I as good at it as I was before or whatever? And maybe it was a little rut. Maybe it was a little lack of confidence. I don't know. But I don't have it now. I, I I have, you know, Ring of Honor. We were talking about a new contract at the end of last year. And, uh, you know, going back and forth like contracts do. And they basically said, well, we want you to sign for two years if we do this. And um, I had never signed a two-year contract before. It was always one year at a time. And I said, you know, I thought about it, and you know, they were being um, agreeable. I I thought it was a fair thing, and I'm like, all right. So I signed it for two years. So that takes me to the end of 2019. Is there another deal beyond 2019? I have no idea. I have no idea what their plans are. I'm 45 now. Um, I feel fine. You know, the schedule is not so hectic. You know, and and you know, they realize I have a real job. They realize, you know, that I have my daughters. Um, so Ring of Honor has been very good with me and stuff like that. Just like, you know, going to Pittsburgh, doing TV and then flying back home. So Nick could do Columbus cause it was a drive for him, that kind of thing. We have that, you know, very good relationship. They've been really good with me. So to me, 
is the end in sight? No, but I don't know. I mean, it could be that, you know, at the end of 2019, uh, where I'll be, you know, pushing 47 that, you know, that maybe they want to go with someone in their late twenties. I don't know. But to me, you know, I'm, I'm good. And if that day does come and they want to decide to do that, like, I won't be like the bitch before me, uh, in ring of honor, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, like, I I will fully embrace the decision. and, And I would hope that maybe I could do something behind the scenes at that time, you know, where I could, you know, with, I don't know, work in production or work in gorilla or whatever. You know, you don't know. I mean, it's really almost, you know, it's 21 months away or whatever. Who knows? But right now, uh, I'm, I'm comfortable in everything. I'm, I'm happy that we have Nick. He, he's a great kid. He's eager. He's, he's so respectful of me and, uh, asking my opinion on things. And, uh, you know, our play by play guy, Ian Riccoboni, actually, uh, I get, I think it's Sunday night or Monday. I woke up and I saw a tweet. Where he had, you know, said, you know, Nick Lendl did a great job in Columbus, and it warms my heart to see how Bobby has taken taken to him or something like that. And yeah, I mean, what, what do you want to do? Bury the guy? I mean, no, he's if he was an asshole, I'd bury him. Absolutely, you know, he would, <laughs> he, he wouldn't even be around. But he's a good kid. If he sticks it out and stays the Ring of Honor, yeah, he's probably the net. He's the heir apparent, probably. Um, but who knows with him either? I mean, I'm, he's he's good, so he could have other opportunities, other places. Who knows? But to me, I, I have no plans. Okay, contracts up at end of twenty nineteen. So final battle, say twenty nineteen is my last event for Ring of Honor. No, I don't have anything like that in my head right now. Well, we've mentioned him throughout this interview, and I guess we have to talk about him. Your uh, your life mate when it comes to <laughs> the travels for Ring of Honor, Todd Sinclair. <laughs> Now, he also talked about atmosphere and how you love a good atmosphere. Yeah. Do you take pleasure in taking him to all these like uh, bars and restaurants to uh, enjoy the atmosphere? I used to. I don't, I don't get the opportunity anymore because we don't travel together anymore, really. I, what? He, he, well, you know, he's, he's got other responsibilities now behind the scenes. So um, I think he pulled some strings where we don't even room together anymore. Wow. <laughs> you know, last weekend in Pittsburgh, I flew in Friday night and I was I was rooming with Ian Riccoboni. So obviously that was my roommate Friday and Saturday night. Um, so yeah, Todd, <laughs> Todd has... Um, He's upgraded roommates. Yeah. I, <laughs> why? Who is it? You? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what do we mean by upgrade? I, I, think, I think better company. Wait? Oh, okay. Wow! <laughs> uh, yes, better company. We'll go with that. Yes, we'll go with like you know uh, up north. I, I'm a I'm a southern mass person. So, but um, I I don't know. Uh, so, you don't take him to Buffalo Wild Wings for old time's sake. Oh, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings this weekend, didn't we, Bobby? <laughs> In Pittsburgh, this was amazing. So I'm driving back. I'm just gonna grab gas because I had a six thirty flight Sunday out of Pittsburgh. Well, everyone else, you know, they were going to go to Columbus uh, late Sunday morning. So I uh, I was just going to look for a gas station so I didn't have to fill the rental before returning it so early in the morning. And I drove, and I'm like, oh, there's a Wild Wings. And as I'm driving by, Todd texts me and said, hey, we're at Wild Wings near the hotel. So I uh, I popped in. Like, I really, literally walked in, what, Malone? It's five minutes later? Not even? Not even. No, we were we it was like you it was like you came in with us. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Oh, that was quick. They didn't even order drinks yet. And I said, oh, I was literally right here, right around the corner. So um So all these years later you you finally broke Todd Sinclair. Now he enjoys Buffalo Wild Wings. He went without me. 
<laughs> we, wow. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of options at at uh, one a.m. That's valid too, especially in that area. So that was that was good. Great atmosphere. A great atmosphere. I mean, there's not the regular Wild Wings atmosphere because there's like nobody in there at one a.m. But okay. I mean, it was a great atmosphere. But <laughs> how about how about Bobby? How about Todd having to sit the entire meal with his head kind of down as so as to not see the Bruin score on any of the TVs? <laughs> so, so people people listening to this that don't know that Todd Sinclair watches every single Bruins game, but he will not know a result or anything without watching it. So, for example, they played Saturday night when we had a TV taping in Pittsburgh. I'm sitting at my table. I'm checking on my phone the update of what's going on. He will not do that. He doesn't want to hear from anybody. He stays off social media. He, he, he doesn't want to know anything about it because he wants to make it all the way to Monday when he flies back home to watch the game. So we're, now we're in Buffalo Wild Wings. So anyone's in Buffalo Wild Wings knows they have like the most TVs of any chain that there is. Now, none of them are really showing the game. Obviously, it was over. But there's a few showing highlights. And there's, well, there's another one had what, motocross on it or something. Yeah. <laughs> bottom line, right, that scroll along the bottom of the screen is showing all of the sports scores and results. So he's like, he would not look at it, which is a pretty good accomplishment in a place like Wild Wings with all those TVs. He would not look at a TV. Um, I always joke that Todd would be watching the Bruins opening night, which is early October. He'd be watching around Thanksgiving. And then by the time the, the playoffs <laughs> rolled around, he might be caught up. But Yeah, I don't know how do you do live sports like that on a DVR. Oh, it's crazy. He, and he does it. It's amazing. But yeah, we've traveled um, so many roads together. So many different countries, con- multiple continents. And uh, I think I've only legit pissed him off, like really pissed him off maybe a handful of times. Like he's he's legit punched me two or three times, which isn't that bad. Uh, <laughs> if you know you, it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not that bad. That's, that's, that's dual. <laughs> Max's wife did that too. So, um, But, he, you know, he, he basically would say that uh, I would make him see red and he would just snap. Well, he's and he 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 hates me. He's hated rooming with me. This is why I think he pulled some strings because he hated rooming with me because um, his his latest thing this year or into last year was uh, I I need sound. Like for example, when I'm home, like right now, I have to put my fan on next to me because I have to sleep with sound. And like when I was a teenager, TV would work, but now if the TV's on because of the light, it'll keep me awake. I'm a wicked bitch light sleeper. So I put, I have this like rain sound effects. Like I have forest rain, I have city rain, I have a bunch of different rains I can change to. And uh, I'll put it as low as I can and keep it next to me. And he still bitches that it's too loud and it keeps him up, which I think he's overselling because I can't imagine that he can even hear it. But whatever. So I think that's one reason he's not rooming with me anymore. <laughs> and another reason is because I always try to get him to see me naked. Um, <laughs> I've done that for years, which I get the biggest kick out of, and I have a story about that. So the Hammerstein Ballroom, this was last year, we always would stay in the same dressing room. And there's multiple dressing rooms at the Hammerstein Ballroom on different levels, whatever. Uh, usually it would be me, Todd, Carrie, Silken, with, you know, and then other people would kind of fill in next door. So uh, there's this bathroom in our dressing room. Where if you walked by, looked to the right, all you would—if someone left the door open—all you would see was the back of them, basically. 
Now, for years and years, uh, when we're rooming together, say we'd have a show somewhere on a Friday night, whatever, grab something to eat. We get back to the room, do whatever. He's in bed, and I'm taking a leak, and I would leave the door open. Now, he's in bed, but he can still tell the door is open, so he'd be, shut the door! He'd yell at me <laughs> all the time. Yeah, he would all, I mean, every single time. That's probably what he's yelled the most to me ever is shut the door. Cause, but I would do it, and I'd be standing there taking a piss, just laughing, because I knew how much it pissed him off, as juvenile as it was. So this uh, this time at the Hammerstein, I left the door open, because he was up in the locker in the dressing room too, and I'm thinking to myself, now how can I get him? Like there's got to be a way, other than shut the door. There's got to be a way I can get him. So I side saddled the toilet. So instead of <laughs> so I'm standing there, so instead of him walking and seeing my back. He saw me standing along the side of the toilet, and he got a clear view of everything. So sure enough, he goes walking by, and all I hear is, ah! Like, he was <laughs> so mad. But I was so satisfied that I finally, finally, finally got him. Uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's been a, like, see, how, see how childish I could be? It's all in fun. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that was good. But, uh, you know, I've said for years, I've done so many interviews or whatever, uh, no offense, Crockett, but uh, Pam, right. you know, he's the best referee I've ever seen. I mean, just overall, the best referee I've ever seen. And we're really lucky. I mean, Paul Turner's been with Ring of Honor since day one. Um, and he's, he's number two. Uh, just, but he gets, he goes, he gets overshadowed a lot because, you know, Todd is just, it's so much in the spotlight with the world title matches and everything, but he's just so, so good. And um, it's been kind of cool to watch, like, I consider the best referee in the world to see that that up close for over 14 years. Um, and people say all the time, uh, you know, well, okay, if you don't do it in the WWE, you can't be the best. Well, I think that's bullshit. Uh, I'm not going to be arrogant or whatever right now. I I would say I'm better than any ring announcer WWE has right now. You know, and, and Todd is the same thing as a referee. I mean, they have good referees and referees that have been there for years or whatever, but Todd, just overall, so the little things and things that a lot of the uh, normal "quote unquote" people wouldn't notice, whatever that I see, uh, and then you hear, obviously, I mean, Malonis, you've been in there, whether it's chaotic or, and now with Ring of Honor, you know, the the, the guy, the things the guys say, you know, they they want him refereeing their matches. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's that good. So, um, as much as I bust his balls, as much as I tortured him, and if he dies young of a heart attack, it'll probably be because of me. <laughs> um, the stress I've caused him, uh, you know, I, I, it's still in a serious moment. He's just the best that I've seen. So it's been, uh, quite a ride. A couple of guys from new England who just showed up randomly, basically in ring of honor have uh, worked the most main events in ring of honor history together. It's pretty good. Yeah. This is, uh, this has been great to talk to you here, Bobby. It's been a little while. And before we go, I know we're over, by the way, we're over time. We are over time. We're way over. Let's keep going. Well, just before we go, uh, oh. you said you listened to an episode, but I don't think you've listened to us do an interview before. And sometimes we uh, have listeners uh, use their phones and give us questions, and we play them for the guest. Oh, I was hoping for I was hoping for name association, but okay, this is fine. All right, well, let's. Uh, Take a listen here to our first question from a listener of the wrestling podcast about nothing. Oh, Christ. Oh, oh I got the wrong thing here. Sorry. That's Cena. 
Hold on one second. We're going to go drink beer again. Uh-oh. He's Bobby Cruz. <laughs> He's Bobby Cruz. Where's Bobby Cruz? There's Bobby Cruz. Yeah. So sorry about that. Uh. <laughs> That's not nice. I've heard all about that. Oh, believe me, I've heard that one. Todd, Todd loves to put uh, my my uh, my name at the songs. I've heard uh, "Shut Up, You're Bobby Cruz." I like to shut up and dance. Uh, well, how about this one? How about this one? Bobby Cruz, he's watching you. He sees your every move. Oh, Hollow Notes, see? Hollow Notes is good. Hollow Notes, call back. Oh, my God. Did Todd ever tell you the story about where he got his niece to sing, uh, Shut Up, You're Bobby Cruz? And his brother I Kyle, saw it. He said it to me. His brother Kyle was pissed. <laughs> Your Bobby Cruz, your Bobby Cruz, your Bobby Cruz is true. See, my name is a love song also. <laughs> All right, I'll play one more, one more. Oh, good. One more by special request. I love Bobby Cruz, <laughs> so put another dime in the jukebox, baby. I love Bobby Cruz, come and take the time and dance with me. <laughs> so you uh, you enjoy these, or I got the impression that maybe you didn't enjoy these so much when they happen on long car rides. I didn't enjoy, no, I don't enjoy when Todd would sing them on long car rides. Like, he would do it to me all the time. Like, the Cena one he told me about, he, he sang that for me. I, I guess, I'm laughing now, they're pretty funny. I don't like the live renditions from him, that's for sure, but <laughs> they, I really did love the one where he said his niece was singing my name and, and his brother the nerd got really mad um, <laughs> like that made me happy but um yeah and, and it's funny because people think my name is a rib people think my name is fake like i don't i guess it sounds i mean it obviously goes well with songs but um <laughs> people think my name is fake and um whatever it's fine i'm i'm i assure everyone that's my real name Providence, Rhode Island zone, not far over. <laughs> so you and Todd, you give each other a hard time, but you love each other at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, I, I love him. I don't know if he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would say like I like him probably like a nine point five out of ten. If you asked him, he'd probably say he likes me like a three point five out of ten. But I mean, it's just. I think he called you a rotten human being on this podcast. <laughs> rotten. See, that's a terrible thing. Like, I think I'm a good person. Like, if I don't like you, oh, I, I'm the biggest asshole you've ever met. But if I don't, like, if I don't have a problem with you or if I like you on top of that, then I'm golden. Like, I try my best as a dad and everything. So, I don't know. That, that might have been in jest. I hope so. I'm not rotten. <laughs> I think it's mostly in jest. Yeah, I yeah. think you guys, you guys are good. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> all right well this has been fantastic bobby cruz it's been uh i don't know why i delayed so long in having you on the podcast because i'm I have nothing to do with chaotic we didn't even talk about like when i filled in for that hack rich paladino as uh <laughs> in the, in the shows where he got suspended where the fans were, sh were crapping on me every show and i was like the heel ring announcer of chaotic maybe next time thank you very much bobby for being on the wrestling podcast about nothing when does the check come in <laughs> it's in the mail, my friend.
All right. Well, great having Bobby Cruz on the wrestling podcast about nothing. And uh, he was so happy to be a part of the show that we just kept on talking, Kingpin. Uh, we cut him off on the podcast, but there's going to be more coming to our YouTube channel, I think. We're going to have bonus time with Bobby Cruz on the YouTube channel. I'll just look up uh, tinyurl.com slash WPAN YouTube. That's where you can find our official YouTube channel for the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, where we will put our bonus time. We talked another probably 20, 25 minutes with Bobby Cruz. He got us talk about All In, the show coming in September. We also talked about, what else did we talk about? Um, jeez, I don't know. I, you know what? It kind of runs together. I don't know where the podcast ended and where we kept going, but lots of good stuff. We'll have to have Bobby back sometime, too. Uh, um, he made a suggestion about maybe him and Rich Palladino, but I got to say, I, I kind of would like to have him and Todd Sinclair on together. I think that would be a fun time. That definitely would. So, uh, yes, stay tuned for more from Bobby Cruz. And, of course, you can go to our YouTube channel, search for the wrestling podcast about nothing or tinyurl.com slash WPAN YouTube will take you right to our YouTube page where you can find bonus time with Bobby Cruz and we want your feedback on this episode tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter with your take on the show your thoughts on our discussion with Ring of Honor ring announcer Bobby Cruz use that hashtag WPAN so we can find it and respond to it so uh, do that all on Twitter and the best way to be in contact with us is through the voicemail line call in we will play your voicemail on this podcast the number 401-584-9726 that is 401-584-WPAN we really appreciate when you call in and share your thoughts where we can hear your voice that's the best way to contact us so call right now before you forget 401-584-9726 all right brian it's time for this week's promo about nothing but before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? Bobby was disappointed and annoyed? <laughs> he probably wasn't, actually. I thought he was going to be more annoyed with the Todd Sinclair songs. <laughs> I know, he loved them. <laughs> no, he did, yeah. Todd, Todd was hoping he was going to hang up. <laughs> Because in person, uh, yeah, Bobby Cruz doesn't seem to enjoy the Bobby Cruz songs. And I have like, I think he sent me seven in total. I, oh, I wow. used four. But <laughs> Save so, the rest but, for a rainy day. Yeah, we'll keep those uh, under our hat until uh, the next time we hear from Bobby Cruz on this podcast. You know what else makes people happy besides Bobby Cruz songs? BDA Radio, the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. It's Bobby Cruz. It's Bobby Cruz. And BDARadio.com. It's just so, it's catchy. It really just draws you in, the Bobby Cruz songs. You find yourself hearing a song on the radio and you put Bobby Cruz's name into it. It's enjoyable. Try it at home. It's fun. You don't agree? I agree. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into the promo about nothing, Kingpin. The year, 1988. And we are going up to the Pacific Northwest again, 
and this is a little later, so this is not uh, regular old Portland wrestling. This is what they call the Oregon Wrestling Federation of Oregon. I don't know, however they say Oregon. And I will play this in two parts, Brian. There's two promos back-to-back here, and I want you to hear the first part and then the second part. So here we go. Take a listen to part one of this week's promo about nothing. You know, I got people wondering because I have long hair, I wear fancy clothes, you know, I ride a Harley, maybe I'm a druggie or something. I mean, you just got to understand how bad this is going. My head is just spinning at about 200 miles an hour. Well, you know, I want you to know I'm not a druggie. And that's the end of part one. (laughs) (laughs) Is he a druggie, though? He's not. Oh, okay. He is not a druggie. And that is 17 seconds out of context, you really have no idea what's going on. But this is a feud between this gentleman who is JT Rock and Roll Southern, which really doesn't roll off the tongue. His name is JT Southern. His nickname is Rock and Roll. And his opponent in this feud is Corporal Kirshner, who, of course, you remember from the WWF. But this is a much different Corporal Kirshner that you will hear from here. So we had JT Southern talking about how he's not a druggie. Let's hear the response from one Corporal Kirshner. Doesn't that just break your heart, JT, coming out here and pleading to the people, I don't know what to do. What about my career? What about your career, fool? What did I tell you when you stepped in the ring with me? You think I play games, yo-yo? I'm what it's all about. You're sitting there, I don't know if I'm going to show up. I was there, and I did what I said I was going to do. I was going to show you what the body bag was all about. And I did. JT Rock and Roll Summer. That's right. You think a little one, two, three count means anything to me? Boy, you're dealing with a teed off, Just like I said, fury from the sky and death from above. That's right. When I want to get wired, it's two lines of age and orange of the quarter. And they pop. Keeps me on the edge, and I like it. Just like when I'm looking at you in that bag, and I punch you in the head and you start vibrating like a vibrator. You're going to shake like that, boy. You're in the wrong business. JT Rock and Roll Southern, stay out of my way and anyone else, too. Okay, Brian, what do you think about Corporal Kershaw? This is the same guy you saw in the WWF with Sergeant Slaughter? <laughs> uh, a little bit different, huh? A little bit different <laughs> side of Corporal Kershner. It's a little more wired since his WWF days. Uh, Apparently, the angle is that he's on drugs and he thinks everyone should be on drugs. (laughs) I think that's the angle, literally. That's a solid angle. (laughs) (laughs) 1988, it's it's a sign of the times, I guess. (laughs) So, So literally, in OWF, the Oregon Wrestling Federation, he targeted people that didn't drink, smoke, or do drugs, and he threatened to put them in a body bag. (laughs) Well, you want to be one of the cool people or not, Mike? (laughs) Everyone's doing it. (laughs) Here's to feeling good all the time. There you go. (laughs) So apparently, he put JT Southern in a body bag right before this promo, where he was all... uh, somber and talking about being not a druggie Hmm. and corporal kershner anything but somber (laughs) he says he did two lines of agent orange and he did a quart of napalm okay that's how he stays how he is (laughs) (laughs) and what about 
Feels good? Feels good. <laughs> drugs, drugs, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and how about him talking about uh, JT Southern vibrating like a vibrator? <laughs> well, he's on drugs, Mike. <laughs> I don't expect him to be coherent. <laughs> Sort of talking about, you know, uh, marital aids and drugs. In this. Hey, we know all about those, don't we? <laughs> we sure do. What? Because <laughs> of our former place of employment. Oh, okay. Okay, yes. Yeah, not in our personal <laughs> lives. We don't need that stuff in our personal lives. Nah, I like to think, uh, you know, I got enough with what I have. There you go. Me too. <laughs> the proof's in the pudding, if you will. Well, not receiving any complaints. And there you go. <laughs> or any compliments, but... <laughs> well, no, no. There's a status quo, status quo. Uh, so Corporal Kirshner is on drugs, and JT Southern isn't. So that's the basis of this feud. And look how far we've come from 1988, where they're battling over the fact, hey, you should be doing drugs. And if you're not, I'm going to kill you and put you in a body bag. And now, <laughs> now what are they feuding over? I don't know. Kids are winning tag team championships. I mean. <laughs> Times have changed, my friend. Certainly Times have. have changed. I did see something about uh, Nicholas. There was on Flintstone chewables. So, oh boy. Yeah, he's he got he got nabbed. So that's why he had to make a hasty exit out of the WWE. <laughs> All right, JT Southern, Corporal Kirshner. Not going to see stuff like that anywhere else. But the wrestling podcast about nothing. And if you want to see it. In all its glory, if you want the full picture, find the links to the video in the description of this episode or at the WPAN.com. All right, Brian, you are hitting the highways and byways. You are crisscrossing this great nation of ours. You are applying your trade as a professional wrestler, and you got dates. I do, buddy. This Friday night, April the 27th, I'm returning to Top Row Promotions in Brockton, Massachusetts. Find Top Row Promotions on all your social media platforms and go to brownpapertickets.com for ticket and full card information. Then it's a Beyond Wrestling uh, back-to-back weekend uh, in Philadelphia on Saturday night, the 28th at the Chicago uh, Wrestle Factory, and then on Sunday in Worcester at the Electric Haze, Worcester, Massachusetts, that is. Find beyondwrestlingonline.com and on social media for full ticket and card information. Then, Mike, we're into the month of May. Can you believe it already? My goodness. And I got a, uh, I got some good stuff coming up in May. I'll be coming to Lowell, Massachusetts for Ring of Honor's War of the Worlds Tour. And that's on Wednesday night, May the 9th. Go to ROHWrestling.com for ticket uh, and card information. Lots of uh, names have already been announced for uh, this great event. And probably by the time this podcast airs, even more. Um, but somebody you'll see in attendance is yours truly. Uh, and then, Mike, that Sunday, the 13th of May, I'll be heading to Chicago for a Ring of honors international tv taping also part of the war of the worlds tour so pretty exciting things coming up uh and then i round out the month on the may the 26th with apw atlantic pro wrestling making my long awaited return to atlantic pro wrestling fantastic so make sure you go and see the kingpin wherever he is 
all over the world. And to book the Kingpin, if you want him on your wrestling show, email brianmalonis at comcast.net or DM him on Twitter at Brian Malonis. All right, it's been a long show. It's been a great show. We'll be back here next Monday for episode 106 of the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. That is in just seven days. Till then, he is the Kingpin Brian Malonis. I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mucko, and thanks for nothing.